Welcome to Innovation Illuminated, a podcast where guest entrepreneurs and experts in the field of business share their experiences and knowledge learned through their journey in the business world. I am your host, Hunter Pirock, and similar to these guests, I am also an entrepreneur. Today's guest is Mark Smathers. Mark is a professor in the business program at WCTC, Waukesha County Technical College. Mark and I discuss his employment as a young kid working a postal job delivering papers to Pizza Hut in high school, then eventually to talking on radio and also working at GMR Marketing. We delve deep into GMR Marketing and talk about their niche market and their marketing strategies on how they target customers and onboard clients. We also talk through how Mark lays out a plan when he gets a job to how he's going to grow through the company to eventually get to where he wants to be at his goal job. I hope you enjoy this one, and thanks for tuning in to Innovation Illuminated. Thanks for coming on. You this bet. is super exciting. Oh, my pleasure. And I've been looking forward to it all week, and I'm nervous because you're going to talk on a microphone already. You, you have such a presence. Don't worry about it. Oh, thank you so much. But I'd like to start. Um, I like to start with all my guests talking about some jobs that you had or growing up, some experiences that you had um, okay. in the workforce. Yeah, I, you know, I think probably like a lot of people of my age, uh, grew up delivering papers. Um, so I had a paper out when I was 12 years old, and um, back then you'd not only deliver the papers, but you had to knock on the door and collect the. Um, their uh, subscription uh, once every month. You have a little tear-off pad and I had a little changer thing, so I felt like I was a, a businessman at age 12. <laughs> and when I was 15, I um, I was sitting around and I thought, you know what, I, I really like to try to make some money. So I jumped on my bike and I drove down um, a hill to a pizza hut near my house and went in and asked if they were taking applications, and they did, and called me back. So I worked at Pizza Hut for probably three or four years while I was in high school, and it was uh, you know fun to have... Um, a job where you got a chance to be around this is where everybody go after a football game or after yeah, cross-country. Okay. So I had all my friends coming in trying to get free pizza out of me. And like that. <laughs> but, but I started that job, and I think I was making $1.35 an hour. No way. Yeah. Really? Yep. That's it. So was that, was that like the minimum wage, or was that just what Pizza Hut was paying? That, you know, back then, a minimum wage didn't re- really mean a lot. It was, um, you know, kind of whatever the market would bear. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, you know, it, it wasn't a bad wage at the time. It just uh, was one of those things where I just wanted a job and I wanted to do something. And so I had some some pocket change and uh, had a chance to kind of learn a lot about um, human nature and people yeah. and dealing with people. So. And customer experience is yeah, I'm absolutely. sure too. Yeah. How much did the um, paper job pay? Do you know? Oh, I remember? I, I, all I know is that I, if I didn't collect everything, I didn't get my full commission. So I mean, if, if I made, you know, maybe, you know, $30, uh, you know, a month, it would be, uh, that would be a lot. Wow. That's crazy. So you worked at Pizza Hut during high school? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And following high school, did you go to college? Yeah. I went to uh, Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, started out, I was actually a music major for the first um, three years of my career and then uh, ended up flunking music theory uh, three. Oh, and no. uh, got a, <laughs> it was actually a great experience because I got a, a note over the summer from the head of the department that said, you know, you might want to consider a different area of interest. And it was, it was one of those things where I was so passionate about music in high school. I had a really good music teacher. I played trumpet and loved playing in jazz bands. So um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And it really wasn't what I wanted to do. It was okay. something that I was, I enjoyed and it was more of a hobby than anything yeah, yeah. else. So um, it was, you know, I, at that point I kind of decided I was going to look at um, speech communications. And so I got my degree in um, it was a triple major called uh, Speech Communications Theater Media Education. Okay. 
Okay. So what were the classes like entail for speech? Was it a lot of public speaking? A lot or? of public speaking okay. classes, a lot of writing classes. Um, uh, because of theater, a lot of uh, acting. And, and you know, oh, yeah. I, I actually didn't do a lot of acting, but I did a lot of um, set design and things like that. So, oh, that's cool. Uh, it, it, was, it was fun. And it was a, a degree that um, when you look back, it uh, is one of those things that I, the field I went into really has very little to do with what I did and also has a great deal to do with what I did. So um, when I got into marketing, I had not taken a marketing class um, in, in my entire career. So. No way, really? Yeah. Okay, but your schooling helped you a lot with your, the marketing job. You'd it helped. Say? It helped me with the communication aspect of it. It helped me with the dealing uh, with individuals. It helped me uh, understand um, how to uh, really kind of read people, negotiate, um, do things that uh, you, you started figuring out how to influence people and trying to get them to go along with your ideas or buy into your premise. So it was kind of the premise of you know business as a whole. Yeah. Okay. And when did that opportunity at GMR Marketing come up? So that was um, 1988. I was actually, uh, I had spent the first 10 years of my career doing some radio and television. I was working down in Chicago, commuting uh, to a company called Public Interest Affiliates. And it was um, a syndication company that uh, had um, thousands of radio stations that they fed uh, syndicated radio um, uh, programs to, uh, sports programming, uh, okay. public, public interest programming. So we'd bring people into the studio. We'd do interviews with them. We'd, um, you know didn't do it electronically. It was all on tape. So you're splicing together programs. and No way. It was a blast. I mean, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing, but uh, just I was commuting two hours a day. Uh, I had to get there in the morning by like seven o'clock so I could do hmm. some satellite feeds that would go out to some of the different stations. So I, at one point I told my wife, I said, I've got to find something else. I just, this, this is just weighing too heavy on me. And I had worked in radio uh, in Milwaukee at a radio station by the name of WLUM. It was owned by Willie Davis at the time. And WLUM um, was a, an urban station that um, uh, was, you know, I enjoyed my time there, but it was one of those things where I was never going to really grow. I had applied okay. for some positions to try to move up the ladder. And, um, and uh, the secretary there sent me a uh, note. We were good friends. She said, hey, um, this, there's this company called GMR, and they're in New Berlin. Uh, at the time, they were in Brookfield. And uh, they're looking for somebody to do radio promotions. And I said, okay. So I sent my resume to them. And mm -hmm. the funny thing was I uh, didn't tell anybody in Chicago that I was looking for a job. And, and yeah. um, I happened to know the, the receptionist. And I had faxed my resume down to GMR. And they only got one page of it. And one of the women there faxed back to my company that I was, that I was working at the time saying, we didn't get the second page of your resume. Could you please send it again? <laughs> So um, she she ended up bringing in and said, Mark, you probably don't want people to see this. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I interviewed. It was on a Saturday, I remember, because I, I couldn't really take the time off in Chicago. And um, uh, the owner, Gary Reynolds, came in. He had just gotten done running 10 miles, I think. And uh, the operations manager, uh, Brian Buskey, who was there, came in and um, sat down with me for about an hour. And I I... I look back on this and I actually use it in some of my classes. It was probably the most bizarre interview I've ever had because um, I think he asked me one question and then he went on to t tell me about the company. And oh, really? So he was just talking the he majority was just talking of the time? He, almost all the time. Huh. And um, he said, uh, so that's that's how we got started. That's what we we're doing. That's where we're going. But he was a true entrepreneur and he was somebody that you just, he, you could tell he was going to be successful at whatever he did. And uh, I left and I thought, okay, I, I hope I get this. I hope I get this. And um, it called like every week. Um, so haven't made a decision yet. Haven't made a decision yet. Haven't made a decision. 
And uh, finally, um, I had just about given up. It was three months, and I hadn't heard back from him. Okay. And I said, I'm going to just give one last call. And uh, I called up, and I said, um, is Brian there? Because he was a person I was going to talk to. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Gary picked up the phone. He goes, hey, yeah, you want the job? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, you, you start tomorrow. I said, what? I, I've got to give a week's notice. He goes, oh, okay, well, do what you have to do. But just you, you, So you'll take the job? I said, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, we're all set? Okay, bye. And that's how it entered. So... And that's kind of how things were done around there. Um, and, you know, I think about people who are entrepreneurs, um, you know, it's just, they, they just move so quickly. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's like they don't let the grass grow behind them. Um, if something doesn't work, discard it and move on. And, Spur of the moment decisions. Uh, yep. So I, I went in and um, spent like the first uh, week getting to know a little bit about the process and procedures, which at that time there really weren't a lot. Um, but then my first um, assignment was I had to go down to um, – Texas, they were having a big promotion around Miller Lite, and it was called the biggest party in the history of Texas, and they had ZZ Top, The Who, Dennis Quaid was the spokesperson, and so I had to go into all the Miller distributors and sell in this promotion to get them to buy in to be part of it. So that was started my career with GMR and spent the next five years working pretty much in the beer business. Okay, so that was the niche market, was beer business for what you were working with, or was GMR more of a bigger agency that it covered pretty much any industry they would tell you that at that time okay. there were there were 30 people that worked there um their primary uh, clients were, were their first one was miller brewing company okay their second one was apple computers and wow um, part of the reason being is uh gary founded the company based on um being able to connect to the college audiences and so um they used to have miller used to have college reps and these reps would go in and they're, they're mm-hmm. go they'd be students and they'd put them on payroll and say you know try to get people to go to Miller events and buy Miller beer and, and do that. So back in that day, um, it was two, it was Anheuser-Busch and Miller, and they just okay. fought tooth and nail to get the, the biggest share of the business. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I thought Gary did a phenomenal job by matching bands with the brand, and he would have bands play underneath the Miller Genuine Draft or Miller High Life banner. And these bands wouldn't get paid anything. What they'd get is they'd get free promotion. They'd get free equipment because uh, Gary cut deals with some of the big um, music distributors. Um, and it turned into a very successful program. And he parlayed that into getting a hold of uh, the head of marketing at um, Apple Computers and saying, listen, we have these this network of colleges that we can you know implement on moment's notice. Yeah. And, and really what he did is he said, listen, we, we can plug and play Apple in there. And Apple was very big into trying to get into the student. Um, they, they had reseller networks throughout the, all the colleges. And so uh, we would do all of the Apple ads and do the promotions around Apple. And uh, so that was the start of that company, which at the time really was just two clients. That's crazy. So it was more so the young demographic that they were going for. Yeah, eighteen to thirty-four for yeah. all the brands that they did business or did advertising. Primarily for. at that time. Okay. Um, and you know that and the growth of an agency has to take a look at you know where it is they want to go. And that was one of the things that Gary was very uh, great uh, at seeing. You know, five years down the, down the line, he was talking about podcasts ten years ago when really? nobody was listening to him. Yeah. Oh wow! Very interesting. So you worked there from nineteen eighty eight to two thousand seventeen. How did things change from? the start to finish in the advertising space? Well, you know, in 1998, uh, we were officially acquired by a big conglomerate by the name of Omnicom. Omnicom owned, I think, 260 uh, or more agencies at the time. 
And they owned the big advertising agencies uh, like BBDO, TBWA, Shiat Day, uh, DDB, um, and then they bought some some smaller ones. But they also uh, owned most of the major PR agencies as well, Ketchum, uh, Fleischman, Hillard, uh, and then started realizing that big growth was coming in the healthcare space. So they started mm-hmm. buying medical um, specialty companies, and then um, Gary uh, sold him the company, sold them the company, and it was the first experiential company that Omnicom had ever, ever owned. So um, they gave him license to say, if you want to grow, you know, exponentially. You can, and and he did. He you know started to do some acquisitions of other agencies that had specialties in sports. Okay. We, had, we had been doing sports. We just hadn't been, you know, we weren't like hounding it like somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there were some companies out there. That's all they did was sports. Yeah. We were doing right. primarily um, music promotions and um, dabbling in sports. One of the first large clients that we had in sports was Miller when they used to uh, when they had the Association of Volleyball Professionals (AVPs) uh, beach volleyball. So. That was okay. a big worked on that promotion as well. Okay. Okay. And how do you get um as an agency, how do you get people like onboarded? Like I know you said that they just talked to Apple. Is there a big process like emailing the head of marketing there to try to get their budget to you? Yeah, and you know, there's you know requests for proposals that would come out and you'd try to get on that list to have them send you the, the RFPs and those um uh, or a request for information to basically, you know, provide your credentials. And it's, it's, it was a very interesting process during my career because it used to be if you could get on somebody's RS, uh, RFP list, you probably were guaranteed to get some sort of business somewhere down the line. Okay. Um, after a while, a lot of the marketing people within the, the uh, corporate uh, entities uh, would use that to try to solicit free um creative ideas. Uh, and that was another thing that um, I think Gary did a great job at was he realized that we aren't going to give away free ideas. I mean, we're going to be a company that, you know, we'll, we'll present the idea and if you buy it from us, we'll implement it. And um, so that was one of the ways we had um, uh, several salespeople, very good salespeople that would go out and solicit business. Um, one of the things that um we constantly did was was looked at the trades and found out like maybe who wasn't happy with their agency at the time uh, is there, and there was a couple of times where we were proactive we had an idea and took it directly to the company and said this okay. was a great company or this is a great idea one of those was a uh, one of our salespeople from um, New York uh, and he uh, realized that Tonka was going to have their 50th anniversary uh, or I think it was maybe their hundredth anniversary and so he said I'll, I'll get a meeting with Tonka and let's come up with what what the idea is. So we developed this national tour that was going to showcase all the Tonka through the years and uh, went in and presented it. They bought it and took it around for a year. And it was, you know, a one-off uh, client for a while, but it was one of those things where we were proactive and in, in looking for the opportunity. Okay. So the process of getting one of those big jobs, you kind of propose what you're going to do for them and kind of the result that they possibly get. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, okay. and, and now because of, you know, digital marketing and, and all the data and AI that's out there, um, it's almost, you almost have to guarantee some type of return on investment to yeah. be able to make it worth their while. Um, there was, you know, a wild west time where people would just say, come in with a great idea and we'll give it a try. Um, those days are somewhat over because you can, <laughs> you can figure out that if your spend isn't going to generate the return that you need, that uh, you're probably going to find an alternative agency to work with. Gotcha. I want to touch on a little bit of, um, I feel like a fad or something super popular is like kids my age starting um, SMMA businesses, social media marketing agencies. And I've seen it everywhere that people are saying that it's like the easiest business to scale. 
Um, how would you say that somebody could scale one of those businesses to onboard their first client and eventually grow it into multiple? Well, you know, I think, you know, and, and it is, you know, such a, a interesting area of business because your generation lives, lives and breathes it. I mean, it's basically yeah. you grew up with it. It's it's mm -hmm. it's easy to plug and play. And I tell all of my students when uh, they tell me that they're they're doing a little thing here, a little thing there. I said, there's plenty of companies out there that could that could use your expertise. Uh, I think you know it's it's getting one client and proving that with that client that you're you've. Um, gotten success for them. Um, I've seen several people who have started small businesses and, um, you know, marketed it themselves. Um, there are, there's a need for, um, people to go into businesses that have been established for years that might not have a website and say, listen, you know, I can help you change how you do business. Mm -hmm. I, I worked for another entrepreneur down in, um, Kenosha and he had a magazine and uh, he, after I uh, left GMR, he said, Hey, I want to go out and pick your brain about some stuff. And I, he said, you know, what could I be doing different? He said, I said, you know, honestly, you, you don't have a digital presence. You know, you're you're a piece of paper that is dwindling. Nobody's picking it up anymore. How can you be more re relevant in the, the marketplace? And so he did. He hired a, a young upcoming uh, social media marketing person who started actually doing podcasts and started talking about things happening in Kenosha. Mm -hmm. So now he's got not only the magazine, he has a radio show, and then he's got his social media platform that uh, is all kind of working together as an integrated marketing campaign. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, okay. So, I see how you could onboard the first customer and then you do you want to like get them to say a review for, to get the second customer? Is that how you kind of expand it? Well, yeah. I mean, you definitely want to make sure that, the, that you did a good job and that they have good things to say about you. But I think, you know, um, I know a lot of people that I used to work with that uh, were social media experts at GMR and they've all gone off and uh, I shouldn't say all, most of them gone off and started their own small little niche business. A lot of reasons was, um, during COVID, some of the, the jobs started going away mm. uh, and they might have taken a client and kind of opened up the door and said, you know, let me just kind of freelance with you for a while. Yeah. Take that and then parlay that into other people. And, and to be honest with you, word of mouth um, still is one of the best forms of advertising. Yeah. You know, somebody says, you know, Hunter's, uh, you know, podcast is the best. People go, I'm going to tune in, take a listen. So Right. Yeah. And um, do you know if that guy or I know it's super popular that the person that starts SMMA just outsources all the work so they're the person that just like onboards the client talks to the client but then they outsource like all the advertising so they have somebody like maybe in a different state or something on fiverr they hire them to do all the work well, yeah the crowdsourcing okay. of, of of a lot of this stuff has become another cost saving measure for a lot of companies um yeah there there are a lot of people i worked with that's went out and started what they call collectives, which is, you know, I know somebody in this space, I know somebody in that space, I know somebody in that space. So if I have a client, I can say, I, I have these three resources that'll go against your business. Um, there's another one called The Bench, which is a woman that used to work for us, and she wanted to specialize in um, basically sports marketing. And her whole thing was, I've, I've got a, a bench, you know, I've got a bunch of people that, that I can reach out to and put in the game. So mm -hmm. you just let me know what you need, and I'll, I'll help piece that together. So crowdsourcing and outsourcing has really um, made it very cost effective. But I do know a lot of people that, that are great at social media. I know a lot of people that are great at, um, you know, uh, SEO uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, able to just kind of step in and just take over a, a small business and help them elevate their, um, you know, digital footprint to the point where they become a little bit more um, well-known in the marketplace. Okay. And back to the um, getting a first client, how do you think um, somebody could reach out to 
a business to try to get them to do advertising for them? Well, I think that um, people are that, that need digital marketing probably aren't going to um, Facebook or online or websites to look at stuff. They're probably just, you know, figuring out, you know, what they can do. So I, I honestly think start looking for companies that don't have a social media footprint and knock on their door and just say, hey, you know, I was noticing this. I'll, I'll be honest with you, there'll be plenty of no's in the process, but you're going to find that one person that's going to say, you know what, I, 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 I think I need that. I, I would like to give it a try. And, and all of a sudden, and that, I go back to how Gary started his business is he wanted to put bands with brands. He shopped it around to Pabst and some other companies and finally went to Miller and he said, uh, he had one person nod his head, say, yeah, this is a great idea. We're, we'll, we'll buy into it. And he said, I, at that point, I knew that there's no stopping us. So, huh. Can you um, expand on or talk about your whole career at the GM, GMR Marketing? I, I started out, um, you know, what they call an account coordinator. So um, my first job was I worked uh, under a, a director that oversaw the Miller business. And what my role was, was to primarily uh, help on development of a concept. Um, I did some writing, the proposals, at, you know, back when I first started, PowerPoint didn't exist. So you wrote things in longhand or you had things customized or you went to printers <laughs> to have them design and do all that element. Um, and through that, you know, doing that for probably two or three years, I ended up becoming a, a director within the organization. And so I had some people that would work with me, um, had some several talented people that uh, helped me kind of build some of the client base. Um, GMR was such a small client. It was so family owned. There wasn't a lot of talk about, um, promotions when I mm -hmm. first started there. It was pretty much, you came in and you're part of, um, the associates, you were Gary M. Reynolds and associates. And um, I'll never forget one of the first proposals I wrote. Uh, I gave it to the uh, guy who headed up operations, and he marked it all up and read and gave it back to me. And he said, anytime it says I, change it to we. And so I went, okay, all right, I get it. Yeah. So this is, we're, we're working together on this. And it was a great learning experience. And um, so from there, I kind of just, you know, I went through uh, – Lots of change. I mean, companies culturally will change when you start growing exponentially. Um, and also physically. I mean, we had um, uh, everybody on the same floor when we first started in Brookfield. Then we moved uh, over on Calhoun to a four-story or three-story building. Uh, and it really kind of changed the dynamics of how people interacted. Um, you started seeing silos because you'd have one team on this floor and one team on that floor. And you start that's when you start seeing kind of a chink in the armor and you start going, okay, the communication isn't that good anymore. Yeah. Um, we aren't talking about what we're doing. Everybody's just got their nose to the grindstone. And uh, so it wasn't until um, we kind of uh, started looking at what was the best practices of the organization? How could we um, really try to make sure that people have, look, look at the company as a place where they can grow. So they started doing, um, you know, regular meetings with, with the organization. We had people who would come in and they would um, talk about their best practices. They would show their promotions. Um, and you know, it was one of those things where people nod their head and they go, holy cow, I had no idea we, we do so much. Yeah. So then all of a sudden they start, divisions would start talking and say, well, you know, if you can do this for them, couldn't we do this for our client over here? Um, and we had a very kind of, when we first started, it was kind of the Miller team and the Apple team. And then as it grew, it was kind of the sports team and then the, and the uh, entertainment team. Okay. And so it, uh, but 
you know, I think just through some strategic hires, um, we had a lot of uh, talented people that Gary um, brought in from Miller Brewing Company that uh, had seen the structure at, at Miller. And uh, one of the stories I talked about is we brought somebody in um, from Miller. She was a pretty high up executive. And after about three months, she said, Mark, can I, can we go out and have a beer? And I said, yeah, sure. She goes, she goes, I don't know who reports to me. I don't know who, who I report to. I don't, you know, it was just a structural thing. She, yeah. she was brought in to run projects. Okay. And so uh, at that point I said, you know, maybe we should figure out how to, you know, structure. So Gary and Brian uh, said, well, why don't you put a team together and figure out how to start looking at, you know, the organization as a whole. And um, it really helped out a great deal, not only from the standpoint of showing people, uh, within the organization, what the company does, but also kind of putting a, together a career path. You know, somebody could look at it and say, you know what, I see what they're doing right now. That's what I'd like to do in five years. You know, mm-hmm. so putting them in that career path, providing more training. Uh, when we started, there wasn't an HR department. There was one person that handled uh, HR, accounting, uh, physical plant. And uh, we started bringing in uh, quality HR people that brought in some some good talent. Huh, okay. And like you, like you said, I feel like it's, it's super important to um, have clarity in the business. Like I just had the meeting with Skipper Buds today mm-hmm. and um, we kind of were like not seeing the same thing with, so for example, um, I'm partnered with a board company, Hyperlight Board Company okay. through Skipper Buds. And we weren't clear on like how the deal was going down or like what price I was getting the boards for. Am I buying them from Skipper Buds or is Hyperlight giving them to me and whatnot? And so we had a meeting and we kind of cleared the air and really learned what the deal is and just cleared everything up like you were saying about like structure of mm-hmm. how a deal works or how an organization and partnership is working because I feel like it's super important to know that and not it's important to have the conversation or the meeting because you're never going to get to it if you don't have it. Well, and some of those conversations aren't the the most fun conversation totally to have. Totally not. Yeah. And uh, but if you don't broach them, um, the communication breaks down. Yeah. And that's where you're going to have problems. Mhm. Yeah. I want to talk about, did you have any mentors in your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. Plenty. Um, boy. Um, probably. And, what? And uh, uh, sorry for interrupting you, but did you separate them out to different aspects of your life, like a business mentor, a personal mentor, relationship mentor? Um, yeah. I mean, my, my parents, you know, I grew up in just a wonderful family. So I had uh, a mom and dad that were very nurturing, uh, very, um, you know, thoughtful, very, you know, encouraging. Um I also uh, had some coaches through high school that, um, particularly a, a track coach that um, was very uh, important to my uh, personal growth. Uh, like I said, I was a music major and I had a, a music teacher that I really, um, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, talking with her and, and learning from her about things. She would actually, you know, help me expand my my musical interests and take, by taking me to some pretty interesting uh, concerts. Um, probably, um, one of the biggest mentors I had was, uh, the person who was the operations, um, uh, the chief operating officer of GMR. His name was Brian Buskey. And, um, Brian was my kind of direct report when I first started there. And he was just one of those people that would tell it like it was. I mean, it w- there was no sugarcoating it. Um, and he would you know, bring me into his office and just say, shut the door, shut the door. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And he'd just say, okay, here's how you handled it. I wouldn't do it this way. Here's what I would do is I would, I would look at it this way. Um, and then, or if something went wrong and, and, you know, maybe Gary was upset with something that I did, you know, Brian would say, okay, 
here's how, how here's, here's what happened, and this is what you need to do to rectify it. And it was just one of those little things where you t- he tweaked kind of how I interacted with people. Um, and, you know, he was one of those people that he mentored quite a few people within that organization. Unfortunately, he died um, I think back in 2013 or 14 mm-hmm. and uh but he was he was definitely every good entrepreneur needs kind of a, a person that's kind of you know helping to keep the team together and brian was one of those people that could do that wow very interesting how would you find your um passion i know a lot of people like myself struggle to find something that we're passionate about or in the business world what to go for what to grab for did you fi- did you find your passion in marketing you know i did i i, I found my passion in people. I, I, I just enjoy being around people. And, um, you know, I did some selling while I was there, but I wouldn't call myself a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of uh, creative thinking and, and coming up with ideas, but I wouldn't call myself a creative person. Um, I, I was more of a um, connection person. I love trying to find two working people that could make something better. Yeah. Um, so later on, when we were acquired by Omnicom, one of the things that I got a chance to do was to go out to New York and um, some of the other uh, major offices and get to meet a lot of the ad execs, some people in specialty marketing, um, and just provide some networking uh, entities. And what I did is put together a group of people in Chicago that would get to get together once a month and just share best practices, talk about new client opportunities. Uh, we created these pods that allowed us to build um, a little bit uh, broader scope for you know a client that might need a PR aspect to their business or might need a digital aspect to their business and trying to bring them all together. Mm-hmm. And now you're taking your passion to teaching, I believe, correct? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because when I... Um, uh, decided to to leave GMR. I started thinking about things I wanted to do, and uh, two things I mentioned. To my wife was um, I'd love to teach, and I you know wouldn't mind getting back into radio. So that's what I did when I started out, uh, and it w- wasn't more than probably three months into that um, I had been an adjunct here uh, for uh, a year, and I got a phone call from. Um, Ed and Ann here saying, hey, there's going to be a, an opening, and if you're interested, you know, why don't you apply for a full-time job? So I did, and it was that same week I got a phone call from this guy at the local radio station in Racine who said, hey, Mark, I ran across a videotape of you. I used to host post-prom at, uh, for the Racine School District. And, you did? Yeah. Really? And, uh, and so he goes, I just you know, saw that you you know done some TV, and I just wondered. I said, well, I used to do radio, too. And he goes, really? He goes, would you be interested in filling in? This guy is um, – he – he works for a syndicated TV a radio show where he covers the Green Bay Packers. So whenever there's a Packers game, you know he'd look for somebody to fill out or fill in. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I would during training camp, I would go in and, and fill in for a couple of weeks for him while he did that. And so you know my dream came true. I mean, literally, the, about three months after I I left, uh, I had a full time job teaching and I was dabbling back into radio. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I want to hear a funny story about some radio. What's like, do you have a funny experience? Like you said, prom, I f- did you interview people for well, after yeah. prom? Well, see, it's, it's interesting. I come from, uh, if anybody knows anything about Racine, and there's actually a documentary out there, and uh, it's called The World's Best Prom or something like what? that. Yeah. And um, so back in, uh, I think, the 50s or so, uh, I think somebody got in a car accident going to prom, you know, drinking or something, and the Kiwanis or one of the organizations down there said, you know, we should try to find a safe place for all those people to come for prom. And so um, they 
took all of the public schools and the, the um, parochial schools and had their prom at one location. So uh, Case High School, Horlick High School, Tremper, or not Tremper, um, uh, Lutheran, uh, St. Katz, they all have a, a prom. And it became a huge thing where um, they would come down to Festival Hall and um, – downtown Racine and people would try to figure out the coolest way to arrive with their prom date. Yeah. They had people come in on uh, an elephant. Oh, uh, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? They had, you know, pe- people would have their dad in their semi-truck, you know, coming down yeah, and yeah. honking their horn. Uh, my son, when he went to prom, came in on Segways. Um, <laughs> but I think the Wienermobile has been there. Um, you what? Know, so, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> and so it, it became such a big deal that local cable affiliates said, you know, we should probably cover that. So myself and another woman there would host that periodically i used to do that and then they also have the racine has the largest fourth of july parade so i would do the play-by-play of that and so he had run across that tape and that's how he he said uh, are you interested in getting back into radio so it's like a play-by-play of people arriving to prom yeah yeah. Really? And then interview, you interview the king, queen, and okay. you know, learn a little bit about, you know, what the highlights were of their careers. And it, um, it, it was an interesting, and it, you know, to be honest with you, it, it had tons of viewers because all the parents were at home going, well, for sure. watch my kid. So For sure. <laughs> we did a parade uh, a couple of years ago. I think the Heartland Hometown Parade it was okay. called or something. And I got a kick out of, I watched like the thing to see myself in it or whatever yeah, in our boat. Yep. And it was funny. He's like, here comes Surf's Lake Country. And like talking <laughs> about the boat and stuff. I just thought it was so funny. And I feel like that'd be a lot of fun. Was it fun doing the prom? It was the, a blast. Yeah. yeah, it really was. And, and doing the parade was too. There were a couple, I mean, they they would, at, at the time, anything they could generate some revenue on for sales, they would try to do. And they, okay. there was another the big thing down there, a uh, fishing tournament called Salmonorama. And they go down and cover six hours of people bringing in their fish and weighing their fish and eating cheese curds and drinking beer. <laughs> So did you did you have like a setup there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I never I never did work Salmonorama, but they did that. They did that, and they did all the local softball games. Um, it was you know you don't see that too much anymore. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, you don't see it at all. What's the coolest person you'd say that you've interviewed, or most interesting that you enjoyed? Oh, let's see, I'll tell you the nicest person that I've ever okay. met um, and interviewed was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, she was in, I used to do a TV show called Take Two and she, we went, went down to where they were filming a, a movie uh, and uh, we got a chance to interview her, interview her, see Thomas Howell and a couple of other people in the movie. And uh, we got done with the interview and I was, I told somebody who was there, I said, do me a favor. I said, uh, I'm going to go stand by her, take my picture. And so I walked over and stood by her. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I was going to have my, well, then come over here. And she just grabbed me and put me in a headlock and took my picture. But uh, no, I, you know, I, I'll tell you that, um, you know, from just, you know, day to day people, I, there, there are so many people at this college that I absolutely thoroughly enjoy talking to that are just the nicest people um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, have given me so much guidance. I mean, when I came here, I was scared to death of, you know, how to handle things and yeah. just gave me, gave me some great advice as far as, you know, sometimes, you know, you're going to make mistakes, you know, you know, sometimes you're going to have a bad class and you just, you know, suck it up and I'll learn that. But, uh, you know, there, there are people that, um, you know, I, I would say Gary Reynolds is, is, you know, one of the people that I admire. Um, another gentleman by the name of Frank Carmichael, who I told you owns a magazine is down to Kenosha, just, oh, yeah. you know, down to earth person, um, willing to give advice, willing to, you know, uh, this one thing about entrepreneurs that I like is they they understand that you might make mistakes and uh, you know I'm I'm not one of those people that probably would have done well in a business that was run by a very structured environment so um, you know having that ability to to learn along the way has really been key to my career I think 
Yeah. So Gary was very hands-on. Oh, yeah. 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 Matter of fact, uh, early on, um, nobody uh, got hired at that company unless he had a chance to talk to him. Really? So, yeah. Okay. And did he believe in like no hierarchy really? Like you didn't have to come talk to this person to talk to him. He talked to anybody at the... Of doors always open. Yeah. 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 And, and it was that until the day he left. Um, and... Uh, a couple of the executives there were the same way. It's like, you know, this, we're, we're all in this together. And, and um, you know, I, one of the times that I was, I remember probably three or four years into working there, and I'd been working on Miller business, um, you know, most of the most of my career. And I was walking out, and it's kind of, you know, not feeling really positive that day, kind of like I'm doing the same thing over and over. And he mm-hmm. goes, Mark, what's wrong? He goes, you look down. I said, I'm just getting tired of doing the same thing over and over. He goes, well, then let's do something different. And he says, what do you want to do? And so that kind of helped, you know, take me in a different direction. And it was, you know, just one of those things where it it was an eye-opening experience where I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And I went, no, I can really kind of pave my own way if I, you know, put my thought process uh, together and really kind of, and and that's where you had to kind of make your mark. And you had to say, okay, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to take the initiative to do it. Mm -hmm. And if I could give any advice to people out there, you know, there's so many times that when I was in a position, I, I wanted to better myself. So I would always propose something to work, you know, the place I was working. I put together a proposal. I, when I was at WLUM, I put together a proposal saying I'd like to, you know, uh, take over as the operations manager. Here's some of the things I'd like to see happen. Here's an, and the, the general manager was, was, you know, thrilled about it. And then um, they brought in uh, the executive team and they're like, no, we can't make those moves right now. But I was like, okay, at least, you know, somebody, you know, took, and, and I think at that point, people start appreciating that you are taking the initiative. You know, they start going, yeah. okay, at least this person's thinking about the business. So mm-hmm. did you do that right when you were hired or did you wait a few years? I was, I was there for a couple of years and I thought, okay. you know, I, I, I was on the air and, and doing promotions and I just thought, you know, I, I really, if I'm going to make any money in this business, I'm going to have to find a different way to do it because, mm-hmm. you know, sitting behind a microphone talking wasn't going to pay the bills. You know? Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I think a lot of people have ideas and they don't act on them. I mean, the worst thing can happen is somebody can say no. Yeah, totally. I know this may be a deep question, but I want to ask it and see what you say. Um, so you drove two hours to Chicago and you were saying also that you got bored at your job. What motivated you to keep going and to keep doing it? Family. Family? Yeah. I mean, I, um, the things that, that really were important to me was making sure that um, my wife, my son were taken care of. Um, and I, you know, I, and, and I'll tell you that when I was uh, a disc jockey, I loved it. I mean, you, 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 there's perks, there's free tickets to this, you know, people yeah. want to, you know, be your friend. And, uh, but I found out as soon as I wasn't on the air anymore, those people didn't give you free tickets anymore. They didn't want to be your friend. Yeah. Um, and I also realized that sitting behind a microphone and making, you know, I think at the time $12,000 a year, okay. um, wasn't going to be, you know, the career path I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, I guess I forgot to mention this on the podcast that you were my instructor at one point. Yep, yep. Um, and I remember in class you talked about a passion project that you were involved in called Oscar Mike. Could you explain that? Sure. Yeah. Um, there's a person uh, by the name of Keller, uh, Carol Sellers, um, who I worked with at GMR. She's from Racine, and Carol hooked up with a gentleman by the name of Noah Courier, um, who was a, a Iraqi war vet, um, and Noah went over to Iraq um, the first wave, the tip of the spear, they called it, um, went in and they basically captured, um, uh, tore down the, the um, statue of Saddam Hussein, um, 
just he had so many stories that he told. Um, came back, he said, we were war heroes. I mean, when they had parades for us, and it was unheard of. You know, back in Vietnam days, nobody came back to a parade. So he goes, we were riding high. And then uh, he goes, I was with my partner, and, and he said, uh, you know, let's go back to the base. He goes, would you mind if, uh, would you drive? Because I'm, I wanted to catch him sleep because he hadn't slept. So he fell, um, he fell asleep in, in front of the um, vehicle and uh, the driver went off the road and, and at a high rate of speed and Noah became a quadriplegic. Oh. Uh, and, and from his standpoint, there's a great video on their website of his, his story, but you know, his mom was so proud that he was back and then she gets a phone call saying that you know, your son's in the hospital and possibly dying. Yeah. And so she goes out there and uh, he became a quadriplegic and um, he said for the next seven to eight years, he just every day talked about you know ending his life. He goes, I just didn't want to put my, my family through this. I didn't want to go through this. He had a fiance at the time, and then she got killed in a car accident. So his oh, his life just was spiraling, spiraling out of control. He said one day, a uh, buddy of his said, hey, let's go skiing. He goes, skiing? What are you talking about? He goes, yeah. He goes, I've got adaptive ski equipment. I want to take you out to Aspen. So he goes, I went up on top of this hill. And he goes, I just got this adrenaline rush. And he goes, by the time I was at the bottom of the hill, I went, okay, if I can do this, other people can do it. So he started an t- uh, organization called Oscar Mike. Carol was a person I worked with. And she said, I want to introduce you to this gentleman. And um, and I haven't done a lot of work with them lately, but um, they're in the midst now of a fundraiser. What they do is they do adaptive um, sports for um, injured uh, veterans, and it could be you know physical injury or mental injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do everything from jumping out of airplanes to um, adaptive uh, wheelchair rugby to uh, basketball to you name it. Um, there's you know I think 20 different sports, but. Um, Oscar Mike was a term in the Marines. When somebody said get Oscar Mike, it means get on the move. Mm. And um, so his goal was to try to bring people over who have, you know, bring them into his compound that he has down in Illinois and put them through the program so they can kind of get back into. And he said he started it because he would go to wheelchair um, uh, rugby games and um, uh and he goes, well, I see you the next week. And people are like, well, I really can't afford, you know, I've got to, you know, get a caregiver to take me out here. I have to put oh, myself yeah. up. And so he said, I wanted to do it for them. So they're building this facility or they're going to start building this facility where they have their own um, wheelchair uh, sports arena and uh, other elements on the compound. But uh, it's just a great, great um, uh, success story. And and I will tell you, he uh, went to a technical college on the GI Bill, got his marketing degree, and he's probably one of the best social media marketers that I've met. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. So if you ever want to go to oscarmite.org, that's all his design. Okay. I'll leave that in the description for the listeners to listen or okay. to check out too. That'd be awesome. Um, going back to you being my instructor, what would you say some key components of uh, people for business professionalism should incorporate? Well, you know... It's funny because the business professionalism course that we taught here has is, is, is changed quite a bit. Um, you know, it used to be, you know, everybody was supposed to show up in suits for business and, and <laughs> it just isn't, you know, that's not the truth anymore. But yeah, I, I think, you know, key elements are, are be interesting. Be somebody that somebody wants to talk to. Um, listen, listen a lot. Um, you know, I think so many people these days are so um into themselves that they don't listen to what other people have to say. And sometimes when you listen to somebody, um, it helps you as an individual grow. And it's also something that, you know, uh, 
helps you kind of become part of an organization that, that your team of people that you know you can count on. Um, I always say too, you know, we have a tendency to get angry at people and to, you know, talk bad about other people, you know, or if we had a bad experience or, you know, you know, writing bad reviews, you know, what about the times that you've had good service? What about the times that things have gone right? You know, mm-hmm. or what's, what's something that somebody's done in your life that you could thank them for? And, um, I think I told a story in one of the classes where, you know, I, there was a time there for a while. I just felt so lucky to be in the position I was at that I started thinking, how did I get here? So I started writing down names of people and I would send them emails and say, you know, I just want to let you know, you know, I'm doing this right now and I couldn't have done it if I hadn't had your support. And remember when you introduced me to this person and led yeah. to this or, and just so they went, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And everybody could do that. I feel like I could do it. Oh, I should everybody, do it. Yeah. Everybody can do it. And it's, it's so easy. Yeah. That's awesome. Huh. Okay. And I, I want to ask um, your opinion. I know you gave a little bit of advice before, but with your 40 years of experience in the business um, world, what would your advice be for uh, somebody that's new to the business industry and somebody that could be an entrepreneur or a business owner that's looking to grow? Um, be organized. Um, I, I've started two businesses. Um, first one was a small little uh, production company um, when I was in my early 20s. Um, lasted maybe six months. Did, okay. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have any thought process into it. I just thought, okay, I know a bunch of people. I can probably do some videos for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one was um, the salon that my wife runs. Um, and we were, when we were, um, what happened was I just lost a job that I had. Um, my wife was nine months pregnant. We just bought a house and um, we had no income and other than her cutting hair. So I was um, up at the radio station where I was trying to you know, do a couple of weekend gigs to make a few bucks and I opened up a newspaper and it said, uh, Racine Salon for sale, owner willing to finance. And so I brought it home and showed it to my wife. I said, I, I think I'm going to give him a call. So I did. And um, the guy that was selling it, he and his wife, you know, similar situation. He was a businessman and she was a hairstylist. They had had the salon and were seen for several years. And I said, uh, yeah, we'd be interested in uh, doing it. What's the, Where's the salon? He goes, I'm not going to tell you that yet. And I said, okay. He goes, um, what I want you to do is I want you to put together a marketing plan and I said, uh, or business plan. He goes, and I'll, I'll send you our financials. I went, okay, what, whatever that means. Yeah. So he sent me a spreadsheet of, you know, what their designers were making. Um, didn't tell us anything about where it was at. Um, and then uh, I, my father at the time was, um, uh, had just gotten a new computer with some neat software. So he helped me build some, they weren't Excel. It was called Lotus 123 spreadsheets okay. that did the financials. And, um, also did a couple of graphs and made it look pretty and put it into a presentation for him. And um, I sent it to him and he called me back, he goes, we'd like to meet you. And I said, okay. Um, they probably had no one else that was looking to buy it at the time, to be honest with you. I yeah. think he just wanted to see if, if you know, somebody could, you know, be able to, you know, run the business. I mean, you, yeah. you don't want to see somebody fail. And this guy was a very successful uh, businessman uh, here in uh, Milwaukee. And so he said, we'll, we'll pick you up at uh, 
where my wife worked. So we were over there and he came and picked us up and he drove us right across the street to a salon that my wife had been, had seen for years. And she goes, this is it. And so um, he said, well, you know, we'd like to do the deal and made it very affordable for us. It wasn't one of those things where we had to take out a, a huge amount of money, but yeah. um, it, it was a great opportunity. And I, that's why I say, if you're going to get into business, number one, be passionate about what it is you're going to do. Don't get into business because you want to be a millionaire. Um, it's it's going to be the wrong thing that drives you there. Mm-hmm. But um, if you have a get business plan, it's it's a great guide. I mean, you'll you'll see plenty of entrepreneurs that'll say, "I don't need a business plan. I just know where I need to get." Yeah, and a lot of them will be successful. But I I think if you manage your expectations, it's also going to help you figure out where your growth is going to be, where your vision is going to be. You know, where where do you want to take the business from? You know, startup to you know to a point where it's worth millions so you can sell it, you know. For the salon, talking about growth, I know I struggle with setting goals. Did you set goals and milestones when you bought it? We put projections together. Okay. And um, I I was really surprised by how accurate a lot of those were. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it was it – was, I, I probably – my dad probably was the person that gave me some advice on, you know – how I should project the growth in there, but um, we were spot on. And my wife was so good at, at the running of it, um, just as far as you know, getting people to work together. But um, like any other business, there's going to be issues along the way. And we had two or three, you know, points where you know girls up and left, or um, you know, people had attitudes and wanted to do something else. Some people would get just getting, you know, had just gotten married and having a kid, and they didn't want to work anymore, and. So that changes how you are, and you know, to this day, I mean, it's been 38 years coming up that uh, Salon has been profitable since day one. So wow, does she still love to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, you know, she, we've been talking about retiring, and, and it's one of those things where she's like, you know, if I if I'm not cutting hair, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. But she she did, she would say to you if you asked her, she'd say, I really don't want to manage people anymore, though. Okay. So yeah. Um, my grandma's, I think, 82 and she still cuts hair. Really? Yeah. Good she said she says she's going to keep doing it as long as she can. Wow. It's something, like you said, like she doesn't know what she'd do if she didn't do it. Right. Because right. it gives her something to do. She goes in two days a week to the salon and still cuts That's hair. That's great. And, and it's great, I mean, to be able to socialize with the people. I mean, right. My, my wife's clients are like friends. I mean, she's yeah. been doing them for 20, 30 years. So. Yeah, that's how they are. With My grandma calls them bouches. That's all, <laughs> all of her clients are bouches. Very cool. And they all come in and she actually picks them up because like they don't drive anymore. Oh, so she'll go. Okay pick them up and bring them to the salon holy cow that's great yeah which is so crazy <laughs> but like like you said like yeah they just want to keep doing it it's their passion yeah yeah which is awesome well i think that's all i got for questions thanks great. for sharing your knowledge and that was super fun well i appreciate it thanks yeah and i'd love to do it again with you sounds good keep it going okay. awesome thanks that was fun <laughs>